0: stewards room podcast breaking down all of the action after a racing sunday here at gp fans delighted to say once more the fine trio of mr ian Parks, sam hall and you and gail joining myself ollie wilson to talk all things austrian grand prix and of course breaking news out of formula one this week regarding the australian grand prix Ian parks gp fans global editor-in-chief how are we doing this tuesday mate it's very unfortunate about the news with the australian grand prix once again
1: I'll answer your first question first. I'm super happy because England are through to Euro 2020 fi- uh, finals, <laughs> aren't they? Nearly said final. Fingers crossed that will happen. Of course. Uh, yeah, um, not unexpected to be honest uh, with you, Ollie. Uh, bearing in mind all the restrictions that are currently in place in Australia, uh, I yeah. think uh, the the big talking point is more around which race will actually replace it. Um, and I'm going to hand over to the wonderful Mr Ewan Gale on that one because he's done a fine article this morning that's uh, going to be heading out very shortly on our site uh, that uh, our lovely readers can cast their eyes over. So Ewan, why don't you take it away, pal? I'm giving you a lovely introduction here, mate, as to what those potential options are.
2: That's pressure, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we, uh, we've got some... There's not a lot of options, actually. To, to be completely honest, especially because of the time of the year, you know, it doesn't really seem that any of the European venues are going to be able to pick up the mantle in, in the sort of late November slot, especially with the weather. So China looks like a really viable option. Uh, F1, obviously, really important market in China for the sport. Um, and it's only been postponed like it was last year. They're going to try and wiggle that race into the calendar. Um, The only thing that might stop that much like the other races that have been canceled, of course is the travel restrictions in the country, um, which at the moment aren't brilliant, but that can all change. And of course, F1, like they did with Abu Dhabi last year, uh, can get exemptions from the government. Um, There's the return to Bahrain and to go to the outer circuit, uh, like we had for the secure Grand Prix last year. Um, that would be a good option i think we had an exciting race last year as well which will play into that race's hands um because people will be excited for it it's something a bit different to the norm um but bahrain has gone on to the red list for travel um by the uk government which could pose a problem now depending on if that remains as a standalone race or whether they move that in the calendar so that you go straight from Bahrain to Saudi Arabia, um, or whether you move Saudi Arabia forward and go Bahrain into Abu Dhabi like I did last year. um, That might get around that problem. Uh, You could do a double header in Saudi Arabia and Bahrain, um, uh, Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi even. um, And again, that would get rid of some of the travel problems. The problem being with that is that it would create another triple header, one of these horrible things that just puts so much workload on everyone else um and then outside bets then as a return to malaysia um which is in the right sort of region if you're trying to fill in an australian race um whether that will happen with travel restrictions as well not so sure and really outside and this is one that sam actually came up with and it's a very good shout because it is fia grade one licensed uh, is the Thai Grand Prix a possibility at the Chang International Circuit in Buriram? Um Host MotoGP events. MotoGP have got a race scheduled for October that hasn't been taken off the calendar yet. So a real possibility. But again, travel restrictions could pose a problem if F1 wanted to go down that route. bit more of an outside because it's never been brought up through these two years where we've had uh, races needing to come back into the calendar. But nevertheless, it's an option. What In terms Ewan doesn't of being... know
1: I was just going to interrupt that what you doesn't know because the reason why I was late to this podcast guys is because I was doing a bit more research and I've had a bit of extra information is that uh, China would be um, let's say unlikely uh, that's primarily because as Ewan has pointed out the quite severe travel restrictions and the 14-day quarantine period for any international arrivals into the country. So at this stage, it, it kind of is heading down the route of very unlikely to happen, that one. And I would suggest if anybody's going to put some money on a race, then more than likely it would be heading back to Bahrain again. And we then have conclude the season with a triple header uh, across the Middle East, going Bahrain, Saudi, Abu
0: Dhabi. I mean, Sam, you mentioned the Tiger Grand Prix, as you uh, as Ewan mentioned just then, but... I don't know. There are other places on the other side of the globe. I, I kind of always just wondered if maybe California have got any tracks that might be prepared to be able to host an, an F1 event. There's so many motor circuits in and across North America and, and that part of the world. I know it would have been a lot of travel, I guess, that would be the, the main problem with putting anything there.
3: Um, hi, Ollie. Uh, yeah, the main main problem is there just aren't any FIA grade 1 circuits. None at all. Um, I mean, I'm pleading no, my ignorance I mean, on this one in in the united states i'm just looking at the list here you've got the circuit of the americas the f1 already races that maybe it would require a decent amount of shuffling of the calendar though um there could be a double header there you've got the as yet unbuilt um hard rock stadium circuit in uh, miami gardens um indianapolis motor speedway we've we actually considered that as an option um and we looked at the temperatures the lows are predicted to be one degree for about that mm. time of the year. Um, obviously, too cold for F1 to race at. And that's it. There are no other oh, wow. FIA grade one licensed circuits in the United States. Um, so when we were considering this, we actually looked at... Obviously, we ruled out any European circuits because temperatures going to be too cold. Um, so really, we were restricted to Asia and the Middle East, um, which... For political reasons, the sport can't go to Qatar because Qatar and Bahrain, there's travel restrictions between the two. Um, It's unlikely to go to Dubai, we ruled, um, to the Dubai Autodrome, which actually has two layouts that F1 could use if it really wanted to. Um, But other than that, there's not that many options. Um, I think we struggled, really, to find five different circuits F1 could race at. Hence why we suggested the double headers in Abu Dhabi, in um, Saudi Arabia, potentially returning to Bahrain. Um, but yeah, it's, th- there aren't many options. F1's committed to this 23 race calendar, but at some point you've got to go, is it possible? You've got to question that because it might be overly ambitious um, given the current global circumstance.
1: Yeah, because when you think that there are three other races as well, Ollie, that are under it quite considerable threat at the Mm. moment quite obviously we've got mexico and brazil given their covid situation and travel restrictions and then of course there's japan Uh, i understand that uh, a call will be made on japan once the olympic games are are out of the way Um, an assessment will be made to see how well the games coped and obviously to see from in particular from japan's perspective as to whether there is any increase in COVID cases. So you can expect a call on Japan probably sometime, I would have thought, either very late July or probably early August. Well, Yeah, looking at early August, aren't we, given that when the games actually start. So maybe early to mid August on that one. And as I say, you've got Mexico and Brazil as well. So there could be real problems for F1 in its um, determination to to stage this 23 race calendar because if those three do go and i certainly i would anticipate probably two of them probably falling off then where does it where are these alternatives going to come from at that particular time of the year because across europe you're looking at real weather issues as we saw last last year on occasion so watch this
0: space i guess in many respects just finally on this very quickly again for people that Obviously, we've seen a number of races already reshuffled, rescheduled, moved around. We obviously had the double header in Austria recently, and the whole triple header we've just had with Formula One is because of some of the reshuffling and rescheduling. But a 23 race calendar is a very long calendar indeed, in, in what we've had in, in previous years in Formula One. Why is there the insistency of Formula One to try and ensure that it does stay as 23 races? Is it a financial thing? Is it a saving face thing? Is it, I mean, I'm just trying to work out because everybody would understand if races have to be moved or lost this season because of COVID, because we are still in a global pandemic at the moment.
3: It was a promise. Um, It's simple as that. It's um, Stefano Domenicali, the FAA, or not, sorry, FIA, Formula One CEO. Um, Stefano said that everyone's made this promise, this commitment to do 23 races, and he wants to uphold that. It's simple as that. He's a man of his word. He wants to keep his word. Um, there is, obviously there'll be financial gain through doing more races. That just makes sense. More races, more promotion fees. Um, but uh, there's no other incentive. Um, F1 could afford to drop a couple of races. It wouldn't be a shock to anyone, I don't think, if it did drop a couple of races and wasn't able to replace them. We've already listed the problems. Um, so, yeah, it's purely they want to keep their promise they want to keep their word
0: it just seems like worrying if you're so driven to stay on that and then you've got one person just driving and driving and risks that could be taken rather than just okay let's put the hands up let's lose a race or two It's not the end of the world. And especially when it comes to safety and everything we've heard about with changes to the pit stops, of course uh, uh, being done for safety in the pit lane, safety for the whole paddock needs to be taken into account as well when it comes to moving and rescheduling and perhaps losing some of these races as the year goes on. But Australia has been lost from the 2021 calendar. Austria wasn't lost. We had a double header at the Red Bull ring, the Styrian and then Austrian Grand Prix last weekend. And, uh, I mean, it was perfect for Max Verstappen this Sunday. We only need to talk very briefly about him because we barely saw him on the race coverage. You and I can't think of more than, like, five, six laps where Max was the focal point, everything else was further down the field because he had what has been described as the Grand Slam of Grand Prix weekends.
2: It was all sort of metronomic and automatic, wasn't it? It, it was as if he wasn't even trying. Um, and that's the best compliment I can give him. It was absolutely flawless. Um and really the only mistake he made didn't cost him because he, he almost gave up pole position by giving Lando a slipstream behind in qualifying and that wasn't really his fault either, that was a more of a team strategy in terms of where they put him out in secure cars in Q3 so yeah, really stunning, I mean we said it last week that it sort of feels like he's on his way to, to the title already um, and it's more of a when rather than an if but again you know, if he's going to drive like that then there's not an awful lot you can do to stop him he was absolutely superb
0: and uh, the reaction to a very comfortable Red Bull victory was from Lewis Hamilton to be rather frustrated once again talking about upgrades to the Mercedes I don't want to be repeating ourselves from last week Sam but I mean it is going to be the topic of conversation for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton particularly after signing that new deal and committing his at least next few years of Formula One racing to the uh, the constructor And he wants them to remain competitive in this title race, and the upgrades don't seem to be coming, though.
3: Well, yes, um, I mean Mercedes has stopped development on their on their car. Um, There are upgrades coming for Silverstone, um, but they're developments that were already in the pipeline. Um, So it it doesn't look great. Um, Lewis has said that these aren't going to close the gap completely. He said he used the word definitely to describe how how much he was certain that they would not close the gap to Verstappen and Red Bull. Um, so, I mean, it it's just... You've really got to question, has Verstappen got this title in the bag? Not just one one hand on the trophy. Has he got it in the bag? Barring any driver error, you've got to suggest that could be the case now. Um, I, th- I think it would take a very, very brave man to bet against Red Bull and Max Verstappen especially right now. Um, and I don't think Ian is going to be that brave man to bet against Verstappen (laughs) at the moment
1: (laughs) No, I did say on a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago that I felt this was still going to go down to the wire uh, even after Max's victory in France but obviously after what we now have just witnessed over the past two Grand Prix weekends in Austria it's just been total domination the kind that we've witnessed from Lewis and Mercedes over the past few years and Mercedes quite clearly find themselves uh, in this hole whereby they know they're in a budget cap year, the very first year of the cost cap, they know that they've got to really throw everything that they possibly can at getting the 22 car absolutely right from the word go Uh, but obviously they don't want to give up these titles lightly. That's not what they will do, of course. They're not going to throw in the towel in any way, shape or form. But you kind of sense that unless something that they had in the pipeline um, that, that they mooted would be coming, uh, suddenly produces, uh, gives them half a second extra or even just two or three tenths extra on track, then this is only going to go one way and what's even what will probably come as even more of a a surprise to Toto is that after Sunday's race uh, Christian Horner turned around and said that slightly jokingly with a slight smile on his face but you also sense that with Christian there was a degree of seriousness to it as well that Red Bull will continue to develop its car all the way through to Abu Dhabi Mercedes won't be doing that
0: that's for sure yeah, that's uh, that's not great news. Uh, I suppose the good news for Mercedes, though, is that Sergio Perez continues to have these kind of waves of peaks and troughs of form. And that at least, if they can keep Hamilton and Bottas in second and third, keeps the constructors title alive. And at least that battle raging on slightly.
2: The funny thing was, is that Sergio was actually pretty quick. Uh, in clean air after he got past the, the cars that are in the midfield after he had his little tussle with Lando um, Lando Norris at the start of the race, it was actually pretty quick um, and he was quick in qualifying as well out qualified both Mercedes, still not where, like right at the top of his game, because if he was right at the top of his game I do believe he'd be closer to Max than he is, but quick enough and still doing what Red Bull needs him to do. Obviously, the the tussle with Lando um, put him down the field. He had his two penalties for forcing Charles Leclerc off the track. That's another story. But pace was there. It wasn't as much of a disaster as Imola was, for example, where they were genuine mistakes and he was you know, throwing points away. Um, I, I don't think it was too much to worry about for Red Bull. And I don't think Christian... Horner was too worried about it after the race either.
0: Well, he has had his peaks recently, which obviously gives him a bit of leeway and people have seen that he's got to grips with the car far more far more than the first few race weekends of the year, which obviously is a huge benefit for for Sergio. There there is of course there will be people that will look at it and be like that, that still is though you just just when you think you've got it right and then a few other things crop up and you don't want to be the driver that always has just just something cropping up at certain points. I mean, you said it's another story, right? These penalties that were given to perez but this is the gp fan stewards room podcast we need to live up to the name of this and get ourselves in the heads headspace of these stewards and there are going to be and there have been a lot of people very frustrated with the penalties that were dished out to the two to perez and of course the one to lando norris as well when perez was forced off Uh, i can see sam hall nodding his head so i'm going to let him fire off first on this have the f1 stewards been far too harsh in Austria this weekend
3: yes um, and in some respects no Um, because yes to the three that you've mentioned um, and I know you and and Ian are both very very strongly opinionated on these topics so I'm not going to take up too much of their time Um, but the, the instance you referred to the forcing another driver off the track by the letter of the law they deserved a penalty if you're going to agree as the teams did as the fia did in formula one if you're going to agree to a set of rules you must be prepared for the stewards to interpret them in their most literal sense in that regard the stewards did exactly what they're entitled to do they followed the letter of the law however in other circumstances notably russell moving under braking on alonso they didn't follow the letter of the law consistency is what we want, consistency is what we got in one regard, and in the other regard, we didn't. On that note, I'm going to hand it over to Ewan, because I know, again, he's written actually quite a good piece about this, <laughs> where um he was quite strongly strong in his wording about um, his opinions on this. So uh,
2: I, I'm going to put the earplugs in, because this might get loud from Ewan. Yeah, I'll use the same word as I use in the piece. It's a joke. Uh, I, I really... I don't... <laughs> In the end, they're racing drivers and they are paid lovely amounts of money to race. And then you complain, whether it's fans, whether it's drivers and teams, whether it's the sport itself, you change regulations, you put so much money into making racing better. You complain that the racing isn't good enough. And then as soon as you get cars going side by side, you penalise the driver. Just what is the point? Get a Skellextra track out, put all the cars on the same track and just watch them go around for two hours if you want to do that. Uh, just, uh, and then you've got decisions going on where like sometimes they are going completely to the letter of the law, and then sometimes they're being a bit more lenient. Now either you're being lenient across every single rule and regulation, or you are being completely fine-tooth comb with it. Yeah, it, you can't just pick or choose; otherwise, you get confusion, and and confusion's no good for the viewer sitting at home who maybe is only watching it for the first time. So they're they'll be watching something. They might only watch the highlights and they'll see Hamilton and Verstappen's battle in Bahrain and see Verstappen penalised for going off the track. But then they'll watch the Austrian Grand Prix and see Norris and Perez penalised for pushing off the track and then they'll go, well, hang on, why was Hamilton not penalised in Bahrain? So you're trying to bring people in and then you're confusing them. It's just no good. Do the gravel
0: traps change things? Because the old school circuits don't have a huge runoff like you know places like Bahrain like we've in France and stuff so going into a gravel trap is, is I guess there's a higher propensity for danger if a car goes off in that sense in one of those moments it can dig into the gravel a bit and spin more although it will obviously slow down a fair bit quicker than others than a, than just a concrete runoff but th- does that affect what the decisions that the stewards are making do you think Ian? Don't see why it should <laughs> I mean, it, 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 we may not see why it should, but do you think that has come into it at all? The fact that, you know, if if a, if Verstappen runs wide, as we saw with Hamilton earlier in the season, he can technically accelerate out of the problem and, and bypass the corner. If, if Perez is forced off the track into a gravel trap, it, it knocks him down and a number of places and loses him a, a whole lot of time. But then we talk about
1: the need for when drivers exceed track limits that they need to be penalised that we don't enjoy these enormous expanses of runoff. Um, nobody does, I don't think. The drivers certainly don't. So then you say, oh, well, there's a gravel trap there. Did that come, in, did that come into the equation? And Michael Massey, the FIA race director, actually conceded um, in his uh, comments post-race that yes, in this instance, it did. So uh, F1 is damned if it does and damned if it doesn't, no matter what it puts around a corner. Uh, there's never going to be a happy medium. Uh, if there's, if there's been grass there, if there's been, um, as we saw, there was gravel there. If there'd been just something different other than a runoff, well, what, where does the sport go? What, what's a driver supposed to do? Um, I I don't get it. I don't, don't understand that validity of that argument from Michael that yes, there was a gravel trap there. So that came into the stewards thoughts. I mean, the key, the key point for me on this was that, Sky interviewed Christian Horner within minutes of that incident taking place and he as a team principal told ran and said it was a racing incident. So if you have the team principal live on air to millions of people saying it was a racing incident, what are the stewards then thinking? Um, for me another key point as well looking at this was Karun Chandok did a, a really good analysis of the uh, Perez-Norris incident in particular. Now if you look at the, the wording of the stewards' document, it said that Norris did not leave a car's width to the limit of the track. If Lando had done that, for him to take that corner, he would have had to have hugged turn four extremely tightly, which would uh, which meant he would have lost all momentum coming out of that corner and would likely to have been passed not only by Perez on the run down to turn five through turn six, but maybe by one or two other cars between him. So he was just simply uh, doing what a driver does naturally, his instincts, he took the racing line. And in doing so, he fended off the driver that was taking the risk, and this is another key point, it's a risk, everybody knows in racing, it's a risk when you try to overtake around the outside. So Lando was just, as I say, doing what come naturally, and he fended off the driver that was on his outside trying to overtake, and he took the racing line. In many people's book, obviously not the stewards in this case, the driver taking the risk should be the one to back off, not the driver that's got the lead going into the corner, and he shouldn't have to hug that inside line and therefore lose momentum coming out of that corner.
3: I will just interject because I think the reason that the penalties were given, it isn't just from this race, it goes back 12 months to when Alex Albon and Lewis Hamilton came together at the Austrian Grand Prix. It was the first race of the two last year, wasn't it? It was the Austrian Grand Prix last yeah, year. That Lewis Hamilton spun round Alex Albon at that same corner, Albon on the outside, trying to make the move round on Lewis, and the penalty was given, the same penalty for the same move. Nothing different between the two at all, other than the fact Landos was on the first lap of a safety car restart essentially the first full racing lap of the race um so you usually get a bit more leniency there but the penalty was given in that instance 12 months ago so i think the stewards had made a rod for their own bat at that point with the same regulations enforced the same penalties enforced this year i don't think they had the option to ignore it i, th- I think they'd made their the rod for their own bat as i say last year and uh they just had
2: to live with the decision they had made 12 months ago my biggest problem with the whole thing was if you go back to the exactly the same lap as lando and perez's incident if you go to the first corner of that lap at the first uh at, so it was the safety car restart again perez goes to the outside of lando and norris pushes checo off the track because checo's had to go on to run so what is the difference What's the difference between that incident and the other d- incident? And if you're going to say gravel, that's not good enough because the rule says you must leave a track width, uh, a, a, a car's width, to the edge of the track. Now the edge of the track is your track limit, and that has been the red and white curbs all the way through. It's not the gravel. It's not the runoff. It's the red and white curb. So it just it doesn't all follow its its own path really, in terms of decision making, and that's the problem. It's just you're complicating things if you're just changing what the definition of your rule is. But Ewan,
3: is the track limit the white line or the other side of the red and white curb? That's a whole other debate. Yeah. Lando could quite easily say, Sorry, I thought the edge of the track was the red and white curb. I didn't think it was the white line, I thought I'd left him
2: room. Yeah. No, but that's that's the problem they've created by not just making one hard fast rule on what the track limit and definition is, isn't it? So
0: so turn 4 Austria at the Red Bull Ring for Styria and Austria it lives by its own rules basically. If you go around the outside you're guaranteed to either get the place or you'll be knocked off and the driver that knocks you off will get a penalty. Seems to be the rule at that corner and that corner alone in F1 and it's um it's frustrating. it's cost it's cost Lando Norris potentially P2 which he referenced in his post race which he was he was gutted about obviously everything that happened with Hamilton and the and the floor of his car getting damaged slowing him down was a it's a major problem for, for Mercedes, and particularly when it comes to, again, the, the Constructors' Championship of losing those two places. But it's cost Lando, it, it's cost Perez as well, because of the 10-second penalties had put on him after the instance with Charles Leclerc. It It's the inconsistent consistency, almost, as, uh, as Sam said, which is always going to drive fans absolutely bonkers. Uh, anything else from Austria that you want to dive into? I mentioned just there Carlos Sainz had a, a great final end to that race and uh, and storming through the field as a, as a quality drive from him to finish off you had the alonso and george russell tussling out over a one world championship point which was absolutely bonkers what are the other bits that you want to highlight sam i see you nodding away again
3: we can't not talk about george russell can we I mean, <laughs> every
0: week i mean yes
3: uh, he's in a car it has n- that has no right to be where he's getting that to it has absolutely no right. It's not got the speed. It's it's just lacking in every area. Nick Latifi is not a slouch. He's not a bad driver at all. He keeps him honest. And George was just on another planet this weekend. Um, I mean, you won't find a single one of us in this podcast who wasn't rooting for him to get a point. I mean, you try and stay unbiased and neutral in all this, but come on, George, get a point, please. <laughs> um, we can stop talking about it then. But... Um, Nah, when Fernando made that move on him, it was, uh, everyone's heart sunk a little bit, but it, it was coming, and then the hug afterwards in the in Park Ferme between the two, there's respect there, Fernando's called him a future world champion, um, it's only a matter of time, surely he'll get another chance this year.
1: And there were some lovely comments from both George and Fernando as well, because, George said post race that um, when he saw who was coming up in his mirrors, he said, "Oh no, anyone but Fernando." <laughs> and when Fernando was coming up upon George and saw it was in front of him, and he thought, "Oh no, anybody but anybody but George." So there's, as Sam has pointed out, the respect between them is is pretty evident between these two drivers, and you just got to feel that the way George is going, it's surely only got to be a matter of time now that he actually earns that point on merit. Yeah if a couple of drivers drop out ahead fantastic um that will help of course um what better place than to get that point in the next grand prix coming up at silverstone wouldn't that be the absolute pinnacle for him to do it in front of his home fans let's hope so fingers crossed sorry for being patriotic for people listening but you know he is a british driver at the end of the day i am british (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, if if George got a point at Silverstone, would we would they do like happened to Mark Webber in Australia when he drove for Minardi? Would George be taken up to the podium to go and celebrate his point like Webber was? That okay. would be. That would break FYI
1: regulations, mate. They couldn't do that. He'd probably get a five-second penalty for the next race
0: or something.
3: <laughs> they couldn't officially do it. Um, but, you know, gate crashing happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, Silverstone is up next around the corner. It was a weird bit of a loving, actually, in Austria because we also had the uh, the Hamilton Lando Norris. Lando, what a great driver respect coming out on the broadcast too. Everybody just seems to be, you know, very much enjoying hanging out with each other and all of these... Uh, intricate little team battles as well aside from at Haas every so often aren't exactly boiling over into any trouble in the teams at the moment it all seems quite nice although I'm still not convinced how much Lando Norris and Danny Ricciardo seem to get on in that McLaren pit lane at the moment but we'll wait and see how that finds out as I say Silverstone is up next week so we'll be back in what just over 10 days time or so yeah, 11 days time let's call it uh, with the GP Stewards Room podcast once again remember of course you can get onto Twitter and Instagram at GP Fans Global to follow us there that's at GP Fans Global get onto of course the website as well where you can see the uh, musings of these three fine gentlemen on the podcast with me uh, every single day across the world of F1 and subscribe to the podcast like, rate, review and leave us your feedback as well on anchor.fm, Spotify and all good other podcasting outlets until next time Silverstone's just round the corner I think everybody here is kind of buzzing for it. We'll see you then.